Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. We're closing out our series today on The Blessed Life. Uh, Next week we'll begin a four-week series called Facing the Cross, where we look at four individuals or groups of people who face Jesus at his uh, final hours as he went to the cross. So we'll be looking at four weeks leading up to Easter, four critical decisions, four ways that we face the cross in our own lives that we're going to look through the eyes of others. So having said that, we're going to pray as we uh, wrap up our final message on the blessed life. So let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And thank you that he has given us a map, a blueprint on how to live the ideal blessed life which you have designed and purposed for each of us. And so as we close out our series today, we pray that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And it's in Christ's name we ask this. Amen. Well, there was a Texas billionaire, and he had a beautiful daughter, and he had this pool, this lavish estate, and he'd like to throw pool parties quite often. And in this pool, he, the story's told, he had this 20-foot 20 20 great white shark. And so there at the, at the evening uh, gatherings, he would always issue this challenge to the men. He says, if you're brave enough and you get into the pool and swim across with that great white, you can have half of all of my estate, or you can have my daughter's hand in marriage. In all the years he threw the party, nobody, nobody ever took him up on the challenge. But one particular evening, it was in the, in the evening, he issued the challenge again. And then all of a sudden there was this guy, he was in the water. He was tall, he was strong, he was muscular. And his arms were churning, his feet was kicking, and he got across to the other side of the pool just before the shark got him. The crowd was cheering and the billionaire said, bravo, I've never seen such courage. He said, do you want half of all of my estate? The guy said, no, I don't need that. He said, do you want my daughter's hand in marriage? I would be proud to call you my son. He said, no, I don't want that other. He says, well, what do you want? He says, I just want to know who is the guy who pushed me into the pool. Well, we're in the series here where Jesus gives the final push toward a courageous life when it comes to the blessed life. And here's what he says, the final quality of the blessed life, if we could have it by way of the screen, Matthew 5 verse 10, if we could have the scripture. Let's read that together. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now imagine you're in the market for a new car. And so the guy who's trying to sell you the car, he takes you out for a test drive. And he says to you, he says, you know, when you get it, if you buy this car, I want you to know that you're going to have all kinds of back problems. You're going to be going to the chiropractor all the time. The seat's horrible. And, and I'm going to tell you that if you buy this car, 
You're going to have all kinds of repairs that you're going to have to make. I mean, it'll be enough just to, it'll be the equivalent of putting your kid through college. And then eventually, you know, as you drive the car, you're going to notice that people are going to gawk and stare as you're driving down the road and they're going to laugh at you. Now imagine if the sales representative said that to you, that wouldn't be very motivating to buy the car, would it? Not a good sales pitch. And when it comes to looking at what Jesus says is the blessed life, he says, blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness sake. It kind of on the surface has that same kind of feeling. Like Jesus, is this the blessed life? That when people insult me, make fun of me, when they attack me? I mean, could you imagine putting on your Facebook post, I have been lied about, I have been gossiped about today, hashtag blessed? That doesn't look like a blessed life to me. And so when you come to the final quality, the final pinnacle of the blessed life, the question is, is why is being persecuted a blessing? And I believe the answer comes down to this. That you live a blessed life when you no longer choose to fit in, but to stand out. You live a blessed life when you get to the place in your life where your convictions of following God and following His Word are rooted so deep that there is going to be a bigger yes to God and that forces you to say a no to the crowd. And that sometimes that you're living your life and your aims and your goals so high that you will and you are willing to receive opposition because the call which God has given you is going to be bigger than the forces of this world of the devil of sin that want to pull you down. And so what I want to do this morning is very simple. I want to talk about why it is that persecution in God's kingdom is a blessing. And when we face opposition, how can we navigate it and benefit from it within our lives? So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12 is where we're going to be hanging out. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have the Scriptures by way of the screen. Now Matthew 5, so he said this is the beginning by way of review where Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. And people have considered it his greatest message. It goes from chapters 5 to chapter 7. In verses 3 to 10, Jesus gives kind of the, the preamble or the vertebrae of what the message is all about. And he says that he wants us to live a blessed life. He wants us to live after the principles of the kingdom. And he describes eight different qualities or blessings. And we've been through those through the last eight weeks. And in verse 3 says the first quality of a blessed life is if you're poor in spirit. And so you live blessed when you realize that blessing comes from God's generosity. That we can't earn it, we can't deserve it, we can't pay it back. We just simply humble ourselves and receive God's guidance and His wisdom as a gift, not from our own abilities, but from His grace. And he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The second blessing 
is that when we grieve over sin, we grieve over things, that is that process that we let go of things we're no longer meant to hold on to. And so we become more flexible, we become more pliable into the hands of God. We're mourning. And then the third blessing is blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's when we take the qualities, the gifts, the strengths, our personalities, and their strength under control. They become more directed into the hands of God. And we said those are the roots. Those are the basis upon which our spiritual growth becomes rooted. And then the next level is kind of like a plant. It's like a shoot. It begins to grow. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That's when our life begins to gain traction. When success for us is about obedience to God and being filled with that which is ultimately going to satisfy our lives. And that's when we get to get forward momentum in the kingdom life that God wants for us. And then out of that shoot, we begin to have relational fruit. We begin to expand the kingdom. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. In other words, we stop from giving people what they deserve so that they can receive the grace they don't deserve. And that becomes the glue of our relationships. And we're more merciful as a people. And we exercise more grace. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Who you are today is going to determine where you are going tomorrow. So you seek that purity before God. Josh last week spoke about blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemaker is the person who then as they mature in their walk with the Lord, they're bringing healing and broken relationships rather than division. We live in a world where sin and Satan and everything is pulling everyone apart, but God's kingdom is about bringing people together in healing and reconciliation. That is the way of Jesus Christ. But now we come to the final quality. And this is the pinnacle. It is the height of kingdom influence. And that is, blessed are you when you are persecuted. Now, as I'm contending, this is the height. When you are at this place, when you are at the place when you are facing opposition, I think according to this structure, this ladder of growth, this is the place where you are having the most critical influence in spreading the gospel and being influenced for kingdom in the culture. Now let's look at some very interesting things about verse 10. Three things I want us to see before we dive down a little bit more into it. Number one, Jesus, when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for there is a kingdom of heaven. Jesus doesn't stop there like he did with all the other blessings. He goes on in two other verses and he explains what that means. He gives it more emphasis. In other words, Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's saying, guys, when persecution hits your life, when you face opposition for following me, I don't want you to be blindsided. So he goes on in verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. 
For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said, listen to this. And he gives it three times the emphasis. Because if you're going to follow me, it's going to be coming to you. It's going to be hitting you. And I don't want you to think that walking with me is always going to be a cakewalk. It won't be. Because you're going to face some headwinds and you're going to face some opposition. What is also interesting about this blessing is that this is not something that we can do. In other words, I can mourn over my sin. I can become poor in spirit. I can seek purity in heart. All of the other seven blessings are something that is in my control or responsibility to do. This is not. Persecution is not something you do to yourself, okay? I hope not. Persecution is something that's done to you. It's what, how others are responding. And the idea here is that you, when you are at a place, when you are gaining yardage in the kingdom, and you are carrying the football for Jesus Christ, you're going to get tackled. And Jesus is saying it's not if it comes, it's when it comes. And so be aware of that. This is about people being culture changers. This is about people being big time influencers. Look in verse 12. He says, For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When you face persecution and you're at this level, you're at a place of influence, you're in a place of impact, you're in a place of strategic living where the forces of the enemy in this world of sin is going to at some level, some measure, come against you. This doesn't sound fun, does it? And when we hear this, we begin to cringe. When we hear this, we say, I don't know if I want to sign up for this. Because the way of our human nature, in the way of our culture, in the way that we are as social beings, is that our default is, is that we, don't, we want to fit in rather than stand out. We want to be accepted and we want to be liked rather than to be different. And it goes to show you, even if something is stupid or doesn't make any sense, if the crowd is doing it, we do it anyway, don't we? Because we want to fit in. And sometimes this takes place on some pretty serious levels. You're dating somebody. Things seem pretty cool. But then that person you're dating says, you know, how about we go to bed together? You don't want to be rejected. You don't want to risk losing that acceptance. You don't want to risk losing that love. And so you face that temptation. Do I go to bed? Do I do what's wrong? Or do I fit in? Do I stand out or do I fit in? You're at work. And it's around the coffee table. Your co-workers are cruelly gossiping about somebody else who's in the office. You know it's wrong. You know it's unfair. You know it's not true. But you don't want to look like the goody two-shoe. And so the question is, is, do I stand out or do I fit in? You're talking with a group of friends, or at least a group of people you know perhaps, and somebody says Christianity is stupid and it's intolerant. 
You don't agree, you're a follower of Jesus. And so what do you do? People listen, they nod their heads. Do you, st- do you stand out or do you fit in? And that is the question that we face. Well, let's talk about a little more what this persecution is, what it involves, and I think it's important to distinguish what it is not. What it is not. So the first thing I want us to see by way of our notes is this. Persecution is not when people are against you. Persecution is not when people are against you. Sometimes people misapply the words of Jesus here. They say that if people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of things against you, that if that happens in your life, that that is a sign that you are living a righteous life and you're being persecuted. But that's not exactly what Jesus says. Sometimes we are insulted. Sometimes people say bad things about us. And it's not because of us following Jesus. They say that because maybe it has a measure in truth about our own lives. Maybe sometimes people are insulting us. Maybe sometimes people are saying some bad things against us, not because of our righteous life, but maybe because we're being jerks. Maybe sometimes it's happening not because Jesus is being expressed, but maybe because we're hypersensitive. Maybe because we're pushy. Maybe because we're being biblical bullies. Maybe it's because we're hard to get along with. So folks, it is not persecution when somebody disagrees with you over an interpretation of Scripture or over some issue going on in the church. Just because somebody has a different viewpoint or a different opinion and they express it strongly doesn't mean you're being persecuted. You are not being persecuted when a co-worker or a boss tells you, even when it comes to sharing your faith, to tone it down a little bit. That's not necessarily persecution. Maybe it's the way you're communicating. It's not persecution when you're on Facebook and you get on a debate with a group of atheists and they start to cuss you out. And they get angry with you because you call them stupid, heathen, idiots, or deceived by the devil. All right? That's not persecution. That is just humanity. It's not persecution when you're always giving your opinion about things when nobody's asking for it and they get annoyed and bothered. And sometimes... When we get insulted, sometimes when we get attacked or whatever, the question we need to ask ourselves is, am I being, am I being attacked or am I being insulted because of Jesus? Or maybe there's really something offensive within me. And sometimes if we could see ourselves the way that others see us, we wouldn't like us either. And sometimes that time when we are insulted or whatever, it's a chance to look at ourselves in the mirror and to say, is this really about Jesus or is this about me? Truth number two. Persecution is when people are against Christ in you. Persecution is not when people are against you. Persecution is when people are against Christ in you. 
Look in verse 10. Jesus says, when you are persecuted because of righteousness, you are living a life of righteousness. Verse 11, because of me, when you are persecuted, because of me for who I am for my sake. And the issue is this, is that when spiritual darkness comes up against spiritual light, there's going to be a clash. When the light of Christ within us comes against the darkness that is in the world and with others, there is going to be some difficulty that takes place. Speed bump down to verse 14 of Matthew, of Matthew 5. Jesus says this, and if we could have it by way of the screen, we do. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. If you've been in the darkness for several hours and the light turns on, what's your reaction? It's not good. I typically get up a few hours or at least a little bit before my wife does. And when I turn the light on while she's still sleeping and she wakes up, her reaction is not the most positive. I'll tell you that. And sometimes, you know, what's even worse is that, you know, if you haven't cleaned up, you know, the room for a little while, that light just kind of exposes how messy things are in the room. And you think about people who are living in spiritual darkness, maybe all of their life, maybe for a long period of time, and when they encounter the light that is within you, their reaction is not going to be positive. There's going to be something negative that takes place. Think about yourself. You get up in the morning and you're grouchy. You feel like Oscar the Grouch, okay? And you go to work and you encounter somebody that's really upbeat, optimistic, and positive. Do you like being around that person? No, you don't. Do you want to give them a high five? Maybe to their face, okay? <laughs> but not to their hand. And if you've got a negative spirit, a negative attitude, you don't want to be around a positive person. You react negatively to that. I think about myself. Sometimes my heart is callous. It is self-righteous. And I hear about somebody who's done something and they're getting what they deserve. And I'm thinking, okay, good for them. And somebody comes along with the spirit of grace and mercy and says, we need to love them. We need to reach out to them. We need to help them. I don't like that because it exposes my pride. It exposes my self-righteousness. But if you have Christ in your life, if His light is within you, then you adjust to the light. And you change when the darkness within you isn't exposed. But the fact is, is that we live in a world when you turn on the light, there are people who hate it. And they're going to want the light to be turned off in your life. And they're going to want to shut you down. They're going to want to turn you off. And they will begin to do things to persecute you so that they don't have to face the truth that is within their own lives. 
And we have to have a choice within ourselves is that when that happens, do we allow them to turn the light off on our hearts and our lives or do we keep the light on? I remember the first time I was coming to a place where I was starting to have to choose this. Where I was having to choose to have to choose to make some very strong decisions about Jesus. I was 16. I'd been a Christian for about nine months. I was encountering Christ. I was encountering the Holy Spirit. I was encountering the truth of His Word. I was a junior in high school. And in that process, there were marked changes and improvements in every area of my life, my attitude, my schoolwork, my relationship with my parents. My language was cleaning up. I was having purpose in my life that I had never known. And Jesus was becoming so real to me and I was on fire for Him. And then there was a particular day, it was probably like in February or March, I guess, in 1986, and our school was going to a movie, it was to see The Color Purple, based off of a novel. And so as we were going to the movie, the theater, and the kids were getting into different cars, I remember I got into the car with the guys that I typically hanged out with, the guys who had been my friends those were the ones that I kind of knew. Those were the ones I felt comfortable with. Those are the ones I felt like I was cool with. And as we were going to the theater, one of the guys brought out a joint and he lit it. And he started passing it around. And everybody was passing the joint around. And in my past life before Christ, that would have been no big deal for me to take a toke. But now I'm following Jesus and I've renounced all that. And here I am, 16. And when you're 16, you want to be liked. You want to be accepted. You want people to think you're cool. And there in my cowardice is the thing was being passed around. And it came to me. I put it to my mouth. I don't know what I did exactly at that point. Maybe I didn't inhale. But I put it to my mouth. And I wanted to look cool. I wanted to look like I fit in. I wanted to look like I was one of the guys. And I went into the theater and as I was watching the movie, all I know is that the Holy Spirit was putting a full court press on my heart. It was more than my conscience. It was the voice of God that was saying to me, Anthony, are you going to say, if you say yes to them, you're going to say no to me. But if you say yes to me, you're going to have to say no to them. And by the time I got out of that theater, I would have rather hitchhiked than to get back in that car with my former friends. Now, by the way, if you ever want to feel like a genius, go into a room where a bunch of people are high on weed, okay? You'll feel really <laughs> smart, all right? This is not, weed is not making our culture smarter. I can tell you that much. But I left there and I found another car of guys to, to, to ride with. And I had said, okay, Lord, from this point on, to the best as you empower me, I'm going to start saying yes to you and no to the crowd when there is a conflict. And Jesus is telling us that if we want to bless life, we need to choose to stand out rather than fit in. 
We need to choose to live our life. In so, our aims are so high that when we face opposition, we are willing to endure it because the call and the blessing that God has given us is so great that we are blessed when we face persecution, when we go to the margins, when we are criticized for the sake of Jesus. Well, let me tie a bow on this. Let me give you three ways to consider opposition, persecution to be a blessing in our lives. Number one, by way of your notes, see opposition for Christ as an opportunity. See opposition for Christ as an opportunity. You never know how strong you are until being strong is your only choice. And sometimes we have to choose strength. Opposition will deepen our faith. And when we are opposed and we choose to stand strong, our faith is going to grow. When you go to the gym, and you're there and you're lifting weights, your muscles grow when you face strain, when you face pressure, when you face force that's moving your muscle in the opposite direction, when it faces opposition, it grows stronger. Your muscles do not grow stronger when you're sitting on the couch and eating popcorn. And it's the same way with our faith. When we have opposition, that is when our faith grows. That's when we become stronger. You make the choice and you say, I want to choose to live debt-free. Or I want to reduce my debt at least to a significant and manageable level. And you begin to make choices against the culture, the consumer culture that says having more is being happier. And so you're driving an older car that doesn't look as cool and doesn't have all the frills. And you're doing that because you don't want to pay a mortgage. Or you don't want to pay rather the... The, the debt that goes into to financing that. You're choosing to live in a smaller place. You're choosing to live a life that's more simple. And you have a group of people that says, come over here. You can have more. You can enjoy more. You can have more material gains. Come over and join us. We're broke, but we're loving it. And you have to say, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And here's what happens when you don't. You endure for Jesus' sake, and when you endure, there's something that happens. Faith begins to grow in your heart all the more. And you begin to have more endurance. You begin to have more resolve. And you begin to have more spiritual strength. And your faith in Christ becomes more of your own. So when you face opposition, see it as an opportunity. Number two, take criticism for Christ as a compliment. Take criticism for Christ as a compliment. Jesus was called the prince of demons. What an insult. Jesus was called mad. He was called nuts out of his mind by his own family. Sometimes it hurts the worst when it's our family members that criticize us, doesn't it? Look by way of the screen, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Timothy says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Take it as a compliment. 
if your faith is not criticized, if you are not facing opposition, the question is, is why aren't people seeing your faith enough? What is wrong with your faith that at some level, at some measure, it's not being attacked, it's not being criticized? Are you living your faith out into the open? And for some of us, if we really want to make a change in our life, if we want to go into the progress that God wants for us, we have to choose not to be afraid of the opinions and criticisms of others. We have to stop laughing at the jokes that are crude and immoral and definitely not be telling them. We have to choose God and say yes to Him over the yes to people. There's some people who will not go forward to be baptized. And the reason they don't is because they're afraid of what other people will think about them in this church. I don't want to be baptized. I don't want to do that because I'm afraid of what other people will think and how I'll look and what will I say and what will I do. And until we get over our fears of what other people think about us, we will not go into the change and the blessings and the progress that God has for us. Max Licato says, if you want to lead the orchestra, you've got to turn your back on the crowd. Number three. When ridiculed, look for reward. When ridiculed, look for reward. It is better to walk alone than going with the crowd in the wrong direction. Jesus says when it comes to the issue of persecution, you have to say, are you looking for the reward of eternity? Are you looking to line your life up with eternal righteousness? Or do you want the temporary approval of people that is always shifting and changing and is never going to be the same? Somebody has said that there's a stairway to heaven and a highway to hell because it's anticipating the traffic numbers. And folks, Jesus said that the way to eternity is through a narrow gate and few people enter it. But broad is the path that leads to destruction. And you have to determine which one you want to go on. And when there is a clash between the darkness that's in other people and the light that's within you, you have to determine, will you turn off the light Or will you keep it on? And when you're facing opposition from people, keep the light on. And you know how you do that? Jesus says you pray for them. You love them. You act in class, in grace, and in patience. And you exercise a love that Jesus exercised towards those who were opposing Him. George Washington Carver, the great scientist, It's an African-American and he said this one time, he said, I will never allow another man to control my life by making me hate him. And when we keep the light on, we're choosing to love people even when they oppose us. Well, I want to invite the worship team to come forward and I want us to look at the Scripture by way of the screen. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 46 Now I want to invite us to stand as the worship team comes forward, as others come up for the prayer team. And I want to read this Scripture, and I'd like us...
to read verse 44 together, and I'm going to let you know which verse that is. Verse 43, Jesus says, You have heard it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but together. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I'll read the rest. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward is what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Well, I want to invite you as we worship, as we look to God, as we keep the light on of light and worship in our lives. If you need prayer this morning, there will be people up on either side or at least one side of the altar here to pray for you, whether your need is great or small. And let's look to God and let's worship Him.